Personally, I love when ACOG, the college, releases some practical information. I mean, just good hands-on info that we can use at the bedside. I mean, not that it ever doesn't do that, but sometimes some publications are more statistics and data-driven, and then you're left with that, well, what does that mean for me at the bedside? Well, that's not the case with the obstetrical care consensus number 11, which is from ACOG and SMFM. This obstetric care consensus is super practical, very hands-on, because it just tells us exactly what to do in this certain patient population. This obstetric care consensus is titled Pregnancy at Age 35 Years or Older. This was released in August 2022, and it's also on ABOG's Maintenance of Certification list under the tab for obstetrics. So we're going to cover that in this episode, because when I trained, there was the terminology switch. Yeah, it used to be called elderly gravitas. Ew, that just sounds terrible. (laughs) And it went from elderly gravitas, like they're going to break a hip or something, uh, to advanced maternal age. But now it's just pregnancy at age 35 or older. We're going to explain why that change happened. And we're also going to go through some key points that will help you at the bedside. All right, podcast family. So let's tackle this obstetric care consensus number 11, pregnancy at age 35 years or older, which is also on ABOG's MOC list. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Because this is on ABOG's MOC list for the first distribution for 2023, whenever you hear this, you may want to remember this. That may be a clue that it's on the MOC quiz for this article. Well, it just is a trend. I mean, it's something that is happening. According to the CDC, data from 2020 does demonstrate the continued upward trend in the mean age of pregnant individuals in the U.S. And it's not just the U.S. I mean, this is a global issue. And you may want to remember this. Observational studies demonstrate that pregnancy in older individuals is associated with increased risks of adverse pregnancy outcomes for both the pregnant patient and the fetus. And this is even in healthy individuals with no other comorbidities. I mean, come on, podcast family, we all know this, right? I mean, when compared with those women who are under the age of 35, women aged 35 and older are at higher risk for certain known complications like gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, labor dystocia, and even cesarean delivery. Older women are also at risk of delivering a newborn that's born preterm, either spontaneous or physician-induced, requires neonatal intensive care admission, and has low birth weight. Adverse maternal and neonatal outcomes are also on a continuum. They increase with age beyond 35, so that the risk is high at 35, but it's higher for a patient at 40, and it's even higher for the patient at 45, and so on. Let's now discuss this whole term of advanced maternal age. You're going to want to remember why the age of 35 was selected. 
As we mentioned in the intro, historically this was called the elderly gravida, but that was later replaced with advanced maternal age. The age of 35 has traditionally been used as that cutoff, where 35 and above was advanced maternal age, and that age originally was selected based on evidence of declining fertility and concern because of changing egg quality that there was an increased risk for genetic abnormalities in the children of pregnant women older than age 35. And that's correct. But we now know that 35 and above is a huge category. And because that association, that risk, really is on a continuum that increases with increasing age, more and more studies are abandoning the term advanced maternal age and rather just giving the age at expected delivery. And they're doing this in blocks of five. In other words, the pregnant patient aged 35 to 39 or 40 to 44, 45 to 49, and so on. Because this risk really is based on those five-year strata, just saying advanced maternal age is a big category. So it's better to just define the age at delivery, which better describes the actual risk of both the patient and the newborn. Now, because we mentioned preeclampsia, let's hold on for just a minute. Remember that ACOG, SMFM, and the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force all recommend starting low-dose aspirin therapy, which is 81 milligrams per day, ideally between 12 and 16 weeks, and continue daily until delivery in women that are at high risk for preeclampsia. And remember this risk stratification, because you're going to want to remember this. Although some are calling for global, in other words, universal low-dose aspirin use in pregnancy, barring some overt, you know, aspirin contraindication, ACOG, SMFM, and the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force still recommends a risk-based system. Remember that patients who meet high-risk criteria or a combination, which is two or more, of moderate risk factors should start on low-dose aspirin as prophylaxis against preeclampsia. Well, older age is a moderate risk factor for developing preeclampsia. So individuals with pregnancies at age 35 or older who have at least one high risk factor or at least one additional moderate risk factor qualify for low-dose aspirin therapy. So here is the moderate risk factors in addition to age at 35 or more. These moderate risk factors include nulliparity, obesity, remember that's a BMI greater than 30, family history of preeclampsia, either in a mother or a sister, black race, lower income, personal history factors like being born low birth weight or small for gestational age, or having previous adverse pregnancy outcomes, or having a pregnancy with a 19-year or more inter-pregnancy interval. Also, in vitro fertilization is considered a moderate risk factor. High risk factors include a history of preeclampsia, especially when accompanied by an adverse outcome, multifetal gestation, chronic hypertension, pregestational type 1 or type 2 diabetes, kidney disease, autoimmune diseases like lupus or the antiphospholipid syndrome, and combinations of multiple moderate factors also qualifies as a high risk state. Ah, but remember that ACOG also says that not all moderate risk factors, which remember, you're going to want to remember those, not all moderate risk factors have the same weight because there are two moderate risk factors specifically that carry a lot of weight. In other words, low-dose aspirin can be considered if the patient has only one of these two moderate risk factors, black race 
or lower income. So if they have either black race or lower income, then they can qualify as low-dose aspirin prophylactic candidates. You're going to want to remember this. Given the increased rate of multiple gestations for pregnant women with anticipated delivery 35 years or older, a first trimester ultrasound is recommended. Yep, get that first trimester ultrasound, ideally if they present during that time, because multiple gestations are more common in this age group. They have a spontaneous rate of twinning, and some of that increased risk for multiple gestation may come from the fact that some of those patients have ovulation induction and assisted reproductive technologies. But even without that, there is a higher rate of twinning in women who are above the age of 35. Listen to this striking statistic from this obstetrical care consensus. Women who are older than 40 years have a rate of twinning that is triple that, that's triple that of women who are younger than the age of 20. Triple. And because the optimal time for determination of the number of fetuses is in the first trimester, and it's also easier to determine chorionicity, then get that ultrasound in the first trimester, or if possible, the early second trimester. Now, because we're talking about advanced maternal age, we have to, of course, just touch on the whole issue of genetics. Of course, ACOG and SMFM recommend that prenatal genetic screening, either with serum screening, with or without nucleotranslucency, or with cell-free DNA, and diagnostic testing, either by CVS or amniocentesis, that both of these options be discussed and offered to all patients, regardless of age. However, especially for patients greater than the age of 35, it's important to let them know that there are some limitations to just screening tests and there's nothing like a true diagnostic evaluation. From birth to menopause, there is a natural and progressive decrease in oocytes and oocyte quality. And because of this, there is a higher risk of aneuploidy. But remember that not all chromosome abnormalities increase as maternal age increases. Yes, there are some that do, like the sex chromosome trisomies, specifically 47 triple X or 47 XXY, this increases with increasing maternal age. But in contrast, sex chromosome monosomy, like Turner syndrome 45X, actually does not appear to be affected by maternal age. So although aneuploidy is not exclusive to individuals older than age 35, pregnant individuals should be aware that aneuploidy does increase with age. So it's important to discuss the differences between screening tests and diagnostic tests for all patients, but especially in patients that are above the age of 35. In counseling patients about this genetic issue, I've always remembered the age of 40. Because at age 40, there is a 1 in 40 chance of any chromosomal abnormality. Pretty easy to remember, right? Age 40, 1 in 40 risk of any chromosomal abnormality. For trisomy 21, however, specifically for Down syndrome, you're going to want to remember that at age 40, the risk of trisomy 21 is 1 in 86. You're like, well, is that high? Yeah, it's really high because at age 20, the risk for Down syndrome is 1 in 1250. That's 1 in 1,250. So you all see that difference there? I mean, it's a huge difference. From age 20, Down syndrome happens in 1 in 1,250. And at age 40, it's 1 in 86. That's a vast difference.
All right, let's continue in our increased risks of complications. Boy, I know it sounds depressing, but we just have to discuss this, especially in our patients that are 35 or above at time of delivery. Well, although we know the issue of genetics is a pretty stable concept, something that's actually changed throughout the years is this whole concept of congenital anomalies in women that are 35 years of age or more. Because, yes, historically, we thought that this group was more prone to certain congenital anomalies. And that still holds true, specifically cardiac malformations and neural tube defects, even renal anomalies, extremity abnormalities, and possibly even diaphragmatic hernias. These do increase with pregnancy at age 35 years or more. However, some have actually questioned this kind of linear relationship with some studies not showing an increased risk of non-chromosomal related anomalies. So that's good news. In other words, the thought process is the reason that this older population may actually have less congenital anomalies is because there's this all or none phenomenon, right? Because there's this higher risk of aneuploidy, which can be tied to anomalies. Well, they have a natural higher rate of loss. Yes, that's sad, but that's how the body kind of addresses this thing naturally. So because there is this all or none phenomenon that's more prevalent at age 35 or more, some of these are actually lost through spontaneous abortion. So because of that, some studies have noted a non-significant increase in anomalies. However, nonetheless, because it is well-rooted in historical practice, and there is those studies that have showed, especially observational studies, a higher risk of certain congenital abnormalities, ACOG, SMFM, and even AIUM, the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, does recommend detailed fetal anatomical surveys for women at 35 years of age or more. But this is the important statement, just to wrap it up, that we've already discussed, and it's in this care consensus statement. Quote, It is worth noting that the increased risk of congenital malformations at the time of anatomical survey may be less than historically observed based on increased availability of aneuploid screening, higher rates of spontaneous miscarriage, and early ultrasound capability. End quote. All right, podcast family, here's a question for you. Are women who are at age 35 or more at greater risk of having a large for gestational age newborn or a small for gestational age newborn? Which one is it? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> they are actually both. Is that crazy or what? So the answer is yes. Both large for gestational age and small for gestational age infants can occur at higher frequencies as maternal age increases. And even though this increased rate of both SGA or LGA happens at age 35 and above, it's much more pronounced at the age of 40. That's why in ACOG's obstetric care consensus, it states, quote, due to increased risk for both large for gestational age and small for gestational age newborns, we suggest an ultrasound for growth assessment in the third trimester for pregnant individuals with anticipated delivery at age 40 years or higher. 
So it's not age 35. It's do at least one ultrasound in the third trimester for women age 40 or more if that's their only issue. Obviously, if they have diabetes or chronic hypertension, you're going to want to do rate of growth for that. But if they're otherwise healthy and it's just a age of 40 or more, then yes, ACOG does recommend a third trimester ultrasound to look for altered fetal growth. But here's the catch, and you're going to want to remember this. Even though ACOG and SMFM recommend that third trimester ultrasound to track growth in women 40 years or older, quote, there's no data to guide recommendations regarding timing or the actual frequency of these ultrasound assessments. In other words, while ACOG says, yes, get that third trimester ultrasound, when to get it and how often to get it, in other words, if it's repeated or not, is not really clear. So here's what we do in our practice. We get that third trimester ultrasound at 28 weeks at the entry of the third trimester. Remember, if age is the only factor, nothing else is going on. And then we get another one anywhere between 35 and 36 weeks just to kind of track growth, and that's it. Remember, this is if age is the only factor that we're looking at as her high-risk state, and that age is 40 or above. The topic of stillbirth, just devastating. I mean, so heartbreaking. I I know you've had it in labor and delivery, and if you haven't, then I'm glad, but you may not have practiced that long. I mean, it's just heartbreaking, and they're out there. And unfortunately, there is an increased risk associated with advanced maternal age for stillbirth. Notably, this association between stillbirth and age of the pregnant woman persists at age 35 years and older, even when controlling for other confounding factors like hypertension and diabetes. In other words, age at 35 or above is an independent risk factor for stillbirth. Even though that risk does begin at 35, it's greatest for women age 40 years and older. So according to the college, available data support offering antenatal fetal surveillance for pregnant women with anticipated delivery at age 40 years and older, given this increased risk of stillbirth. However, the college states, quote, for individuals aged 35 to 39 years, there's insufficient evidence to recommend routine antepartum fetal surveillance in the absence of other risk factors for stillbirth and whether to offer surveillance to these individuals should be individualized, end quote. And as for when to begin doing this surveillance, ACOG says that it's reasonable to begin antepartum fetal surveillance around 32 or 36 weeks of pregnancy because the risk also increases with increasing gestational age. And in talking about stillbirths, I mean, shouldn't we just get out when the going is good? I mean, try to just end the pregnancy at 39 weeks rather than going post-term. I mean, is that a thing? Well, it is kind of a thing. ACOG does recommend proceeding with delivery in well-dated pregnancies at 39 weeks and zero days up to 39 weeks and six days in individuals 40 years of age and older because of this increasing rate of neonatal morbidity and stillbirth beyond this gestational age. But of course, nobody should be forced to do something that they don't want. So if a patient doesn't want to have an induction, that's part of shared decision making. And remember, we talked about this in women age 40 years and older, where ACOG says, yeah, definitely recommend delivery at 39 weeks if they have well-dated pregnancies. 
However, for women 35 to 39, the evidence for elevated stillbirth risk in those individuals is actually not sufficient enough to support a clear recommendation regarding timing of delivery beyond routine practice. Nevertheless, induction of labor after 39 weeks does have benefits. Remember the ARRIVE trial that had decreased cesarean delivery rates and decreased incidence of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. All to say, in well-dated pregnancies, it's better to get out when things are good. So especially in the population that's age 40 or more, 39-week delivery sounds very reasonable. All right, podcast families, we get ready to wrap this up. Remember this last fact for the MOC as demonstrated in numerous observational studies. Age-related risks do increase with increasing age. But some of these findings of increased risks associated with pregnancies in women age 35 years or older are largely driven by pregnancies at older ages, like age 40 years or higher. And so that's why this advanced maternal age is too big of a category, because some of those risks don't just begin at 35, but are highly pronounced at 40 years or more. So hopefully and ideally, future studies won't just group all women above the age of 35 together into one box called advanced maternal age, but will hopefully better risk stratify by age, those between the ages of 35 and 39, those between 40 and 44, 45 and 49, and so on. But that's for future researchers and future publications. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered obstetric care consensus number 11, which is from ACOG and SMFM, titled Pregnancy at Age 35 Years and Older. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're grateful that you're part of our podcast family. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls.